Listening to Real Talk SLP with your host, Felice Clark, the Deviling Speechy. This is a show to help speech pathologists navigate the SLP world with real life stories to celebrate therapy successes and how to persevere when failure comes knocking on your door. Welcome to the Real Talk SLP podcast. We're back with another episode, and today we're going to be talking about how to implement a coaching model with this with a support person during your teletherapy sessions. So let me paint a little picture. So, you know, if you're doing teletherapy for a school, the the, the support person could be the paraprofessional. Um if you're doing therapy privately or through, you know, an agency, the support person would most likely be the parent. And the parent is going to be sitting with the child. And so a lot of times, you know, you may be wondering like, well, how do I get this person involved? How do I make this session um, more productive? Because sometimes, you know, our students, they don't want to be on the screen or they don't want to participate. And it's really hard to know sometimes even how to communicate and know what could be going, like, what could I be doing better, right? I just know that when I had to do teletherapy last year during you know, the pandemic, that was an area, that was a tricky area at times because you're also trying to navigate um, just each family's situation as well. And then I had some kids who would kind of like this, the the computer screen, some that didn't, um, you know, and there are a lot of things that I didn't know to think through or to talk with the parent about and set up the expectation until it, until I was like, oh, this isn't going to (laughs) work. And I had to backtrack a little bit. So I I wanted to have someone come on to share about some practical tips and little shifts that you can make in your teletherapy session with implementing a coaching model with that support person because it can make all the difference. And I'm really excited to have Jennifer Martin from the podcast SLP Full Disclosure come on today and talk with us about those strategies and tips. And she's even going to talk about some behavior management strategies and just a lot of really practical information. So if you're doing teletherapy for a school or in in the home environment, you know, This collaboratively working with the support person is really, really important. It's really important for, um, you know, maintaining structure throughout your session. And it's great for carryover. And if you've been following me for a while, you know, I love implementing collaborative services. (laughs) So if you're new to doing collaborative services, I will put a link to my blog post about the different types of collaborative service models. And so the one we're going to be talking about today really is um, a form of coaching. Um, you could be co-teaching with the with the parent, but or, the, or I should say the paraprofessional, but really a coaching model and how to improve on that. And I know that, it, you know, like I said, it was hard for me in teletherapy always navigating that. So um, before we jump into that interview, if you have not, if you're if you're starting to think about therapy for this month in January, and you're just like, I don't know what to do, I'm burnt out. You know, I have a free Google Slides that has that has all the winter themed videos for songs, book read alouds, you know, nonfiction winter themed videos. 
and social pragmatic videos. They're all organized perfectly for you um, so that you can just pull it up and use it in your therapy sessions. So when I'm super burnt out, one of the big things that I do is I try to save all my best engaging low, low prep um, activities for those times so that I can, <laughs> I don't want to say coast, but so that I can enjoy therapy still and not stress about these, about elaborate plans and just get through. And so there's a lot of great videos for winter theme. I'm going to link that in the show notes so that you can go get those and use them in your sessions um, this month and next month. All right. So let's head on over to our interview with Jennifer Martin. It's going to be a good one. Welcome, Jennifer, to the Real Talk SLP podcast. I'm really excited to have you come on today to talk about how to incorporate the support person in your teletherapy session. So welcome. Thank you so much. It's so fun to be here with you. I know. I had the pleasure of talking with you a couple of months ago, or maybe, well, I think it was a couple of months ago, um, on your podcast, SLP Full Disclosure. We talked about uh, co-teaching. And so I wanted to have you on because we had a great discussion. And so I'm glad you said yes. Oh, of course. I was honored. I was excited to spend more time with you. So thank you. Yeah. Well, so today we're going to be talking about, you know, if you're doing therapy via teletherapy, a lot of our, stu you know, your students or the children that you're working with, they're across the screen. And sometimes we need some support from an adult um, either the paraprofessional that could be sitting with the child or the parent. And I know I personally always need more tips with parent coaching or staff coaching and how to maximize them with helping the student that we're working with. And so I'm glad you're going to be talking about that today. Before we jump into some of that information, I would love it if you shared a little bit more about your background in the field, maybe some things that you're currently doing, and just giving SLPs um, a little bit more information about you. Absolutely. So I like to think of myself as an OG SLP. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting to work with people that I'm thinking, could I be your mother? Maybe, but I'd be a young mom. I'd be a young mom. Um, so I've been an SLP for a long time. And I feel like I really try to stress to anybody who's worried about, oh, whatever I do when I first start will be what I do forever. And I'm here to tell you that that is not true. Uh, because when I came out, I thought, oh, I want adults and I want hospital. And I was dead set on that. And that was all I was going to do. And um, lo and behold, I realized the hospitals never close. So I was like, I don't know if I can work at a place that never closes. So decided to go and do some work in schools and loved um, working with pediatrics and realized that that's the group I really wanted to work with and then continued to go younger and then said, okay, so now I'm with school age. Now I'm going to go to early intervention. So started doing a lot of work in the home with early intervention and then had an opportunity to go even younger and work with um, babies that had just been discharged from the NICU. And so did that for many, many years. And then decided uh, to do something a little bit different. I thought, oh, I'm ready to do something a little bit where I'm not doing as much clinical work, but helping kind of guide and support this next group of uh, upcoming SLPs. And so 
I now work as a director of teletherapy and also um, help schools to set up mental health programs. So this, yeah, a little bit of everything. And I've done um, teletherapy as well along with that for the last three years. So before COVID, before it was, everybody was doing it. (laughs) Yeah. And I know, I feel like I would now have to take a refresher course on how to do teletherapy because I tried to like, I did it for a year and and I said, I need a break from that. And now I'm, I'm um, supporting SLPs as well. And I would agree that our field is so vast that you can really pivot anytime you want. And because of teletherapy, you can, you know, that's opened up even more doors to try something new and to support students in school districts. So um, I definitely am in a different place than I ever thought I was. I never thought I would be running a podcast or speaking or making materials for speech pathologists. So it's really cool. Um, All right. So let's just, let's jump in. And I would love to know some of your top tips for just including paraprofessionals in a teletherapy session. Um, And if you are working in a private practice or you're working with private clients, like if insert parent support. So it's either paraprofessional or parent support. Yeah. And I think you're right. We could either say any sort of support person on the other end with the child, this would be um, applicable to. And I can't stress the importance of this person enough because they really are what I look at as the extension of the SLP. I mean, this is your partner. (laughs) You all have to be a well-oiled machine and it really can make or break a therapy session. So these are just some things that I've learned along the way that I think are really helpful. And the first one, it seems really obvious, but I cannot stress it enough, is from the beginning, defining the roles. Because we, assume, you know, I think sometimes as, as clinicians, we're so used to, oh, I just do this, and I do this, and I do this. But the person on the other end doesn't necessarily know, oh, they do this, they do this, do they do this? So I think that can create some disjointedness and people feeling like, oh, wait, what do you want me to do now? Now what? So defining those roles, even as simple as, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And especially important if they're new to receiving teletherapy, they haven't done it before, or um, they're new to speech therapy because then they really don't have that background to think, oh, well, on site they did this. So I'm sure that it's going to look like this virtual. So always define those roles. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to come in. We're going to see each other once a week. It's going to be for about this long. These are the things that I'm going to need you to do. And these are the things that I'm going to do. So even things, you know, that I'm going to need you, let's say it's a paraprofessional, you're going to grab the student, you're going to get them logged on, you're going to help them get set up with a headset. And, you know, if there's any sort of behavior issues, this is a big thing too, is discuss that in advance too. And this is again, whether it's a parent or a paraprofessional, how are we going to handle behavior? If they don't want to participate, if they keep closing the screen on the laptop, if they're putting the microphone in their mouth, how are we going to handle that? Because it's so much easier to talk about those things beforehand versus in the middle of it then say, oh, wait, no, do this, do this, do this. Or even things where I've had situations where I didn't talk about that beforehand and the parent or support person said, all right, well, now this is going to be your consequence. And it's like, no, 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 I don't want them to you know, start to associate this with a lot of negative consequences. So 
even talking about what will this look like if this happens, what are we going to do? Or what can we do as a reward system? You know, if they're at home with the parent and they have this program they want to watch, is that the reward system? If they have an activity they want to do, um, if they're in the school setting, can they earn stickers and earn some sort of reward for that? But again, those are things you want to talk about beforehand. And so, really, let me just ask real, a little yeah, mini question. Yeah. So I love that because I always say that too with collaborative services. Like if you don't define the roles, chances are something's going to happen. And if you, if it, the best case scenario is that you pick someone that's like easy to roll with the punches, but if you don't, it can really set things back. But what I was wondering is, so do you ever recommend like having a first therapy session where it's more of a procedure therapy and the kid's not even there or you're, you know, working with that support person before you jump into therapy? Yeah. And that is a great question. And what I recommend are all the above. So I recommend beginning again, whether it's a parent or a paraprofessional, having an initial meeting, and that's where you're going to discuss all of these things. And, and even things like, you know, how are we going to get a hold of each other? If you get on and you don't see me on there, or if I don't see you, or if there's a tech issue, how are we going to communicate? Do you want to text me? Do you want to call me? All of those just kind of general housekeeping questions. And then I also recommend on top of that, just a, and this is especially, I think, true for a paraprofessional that, that may be bringing multiple children to you all day to work with. This is especially critical is have a weekly beginning of the week check-in where you just say, you know, and again, it doesn't need to be some formal long meeting, but just, Hey, Oh, you know, uh, Johnny was having a hard time last week. What should we do this week? Or these are some of the activities I'm thinking of this week. So these are the things I want you to have ready to go. Um, all of those just housekeeping things will, if you can just have a quick meeting, it just makes the week go so much smoother. If it's a parent or you're just seeing, you know, one, if one of their children, that's less important unless you start to notice that there's things that are happening throughout sessions where you think, oh, we probably need to do a check-in, but for sure a paraprofessional initial meeting and then just a weekly 15 minute prep for the week makes all the difference. Yeah, that, I love that tip too, because then it also provides you, it's a little bit extra, I don't want to say work, but you're putting in that effort to really also value the other person across the screen who is doing a lot of work for you. And so when you have a good partnership where they feel valued, you know, it makes the long term better. Short term, yeah, it's going to be a pain in the butt sometimes to be like, okay, I'm going to do that 15 minute meeting. But um, I have found that when I put in the effort, I have a better relationship with everybody working with the child or student. So I love that. Do you have any other tips for just including the support person before we move on to some possibly behavior strategies and how to, <laughs> I feel like we never run out of those. I mean, come on, what behavior are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, no, Absolutely. So again, the weekly meetings are critical. And I also think too, um, don't assume that the other person can read your mind. So giving really specific directions and feedback. So again, back to what you said earlier, I, I really am a big believer in let's be proactive, not reactive. And so 
waiting, don't wait until it's like, oh, this is a big problem. If you start to notice like, wow, you know, I'm waiting for 10, 15 minutes for the parent to log in or the parent, and this is like cutting into the rest of the day, you know, again, if it's a one-time thing, so be it. But if you're noticing certain things are consistently happening, address them in a professional way in the beginning before they're like a big issue. Um, but also don't forget on that note too, to really give positive feedback because especially again, for our parents and parents, it is a hard work and what they're doing is not easy. So remember to give them some grace and to give them some praise and positive feedback when you see that they are like, Hey, I really love the way that, um, you were able to ignore that behavior so that we could redirect the, the student to do this. Any sort of feedback and praise that's really specific is great as well. And again, giving those specific directions. So don't expect that that person understands what you want and is going to read your mind. And also realizing that, you know, many of our paraprofessionals, this may be the first experience that they've had doing anything similar, or even their first experience as a paraprofessional, or as their first experience working with any sort of special education. So this is all new to them. So be really specific in the directions you're giving and encourage, again, that feedback, even saying to them, you know, I also want feedback. If you feel like I could do something that could make it easier for you, please let's give that feedback to each other. Right. And having the defined role of how we would discuss that. So I think those weekly check-in meetings, if those are already set up, the person could even wait. Cause sometimes I need to wait 24 hours before I share my feelings. Cause I don't want it it's, it really is a small problem, but we can make it into something personal. So I have found that even like when something goes not well, like, okay, I need to take some time to reflect so that I'm respectful or I ask a question in a way that is an open discussion. So I love those tips. So initial meeting, um, then make sure you define the roles, schedule a weekly meeting or some sort of way that you're going to check in every week. And that could even be like a shared Google Doc. And then giving specific directions. I think that point that they can't read our minds, <laughs> it's probably something that we just, we overlook a lot. It's, it's basic advice, but it's something that you have to keep telling yourself like, oh yeah, they don't know. Um, have you ever found that parents also need like a cheat sheet or some sort of reminder, even like, a, like with a strategy, pausing and waiting so that they know that, Hey, this is a strategy and this is why I'm using it. And I want you to use that too. Do you find that when you're helping clinicians that they need to go a little bit extra with the support person to help them with understanding where we're coming from or what do you have to offer in that realm? Yeah. So if it's a parent, I always think about it is even if I'm on site with them, I'm often explaining to them, okay, what I'm doing right now is this, and this is what I'm wanting to get from it. And that's no different if we're working virtually is, you know, and again, that's where setting those expectations, defining those roles. So where it's, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And this is what I'm wanting. This, this is the goal we're working on. This is what I'm hoping is going to come from this. Um, and here's what I need you to do. But if I need you to support in this way, or we're going to have, this as a group interaction, then I'm definitely going to explain those directions and be clear so that we all know. But 
Yeah, I look at it where even, you know, if we're on site, oftentimes they need to know why we're doing what we're doing. Otherwise, it's like, what is this one? This one was just here hanging out at my house playing. And so it's like, no, actually, and same thing virtually. These are the things I'm I'm gonna do. Or again, even, you know, as, even if you know if it's a parent saying, these are some activities or things that I'm gonna want you to have ready so that we can engage or I can coach you through that as well. So, and again, having that planning and 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 in your, what you said also is important as well. It doesn't have to be some long drawn out, like we're gonna have a meeting, but it could be that shared Google doc where, hey, this is what I'm gonna do this week. This is what I need you to have ready or you know, a text message, but just some way that they know they're prepared, you're prepared. And so everybody knows what to expect. Yeah, I love that. And I'm sure it's hard in the beginning as you're juggling it all, but then as you get better at stream and then looking at your holes within your caseload or your schedule, like, okay, what is taking me a ton of time with this parent? What could I do to streamline this for future parents or future um, paraprofessionals? Or, you know, and I would even suggest documenting what you guys defined so that if a paraprofessional is not coming on time, you can document that um, and let let the school know even because, you know, or work it out. But then at least you have a paper trail for some of that stuff too. So these are really awesome tips. And I think the one that I'm looking forward to talking about the most is behavior strategies. <laughs> because it's, tr- I mean, it's tricky in person. And then it's even trickier when you're across the st- screen, if a student doesn't want to do something how do we get them back engaged? How do we, you know, how do we use that support person to even help us with um, behavior management? So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. And I think the good news with that is that, I mean, good news in that, you know, we've been in this pandemic long enough that I feel like now most kids are very familiar with doing something virtually, whether they were in school for a period of time or have received services. So I feel like that, as far as them understanding kind of the expectations of that has gotten much better, which is good. But with that being said, there are still going to be, just as when we're on site, there's going to be always some sort of behavior and this no different virtually. And that's where you really are going to want to have a well-oiled machine with that support person or that parent. So one of the things I always like to start with is talking with parents or paraprofessionals about just kind of a a background of behavior, because I think it's very easy to just think, oh, they're just being naughty, or they're just doing this to do this, or they're just, oh, you know, this is frustrating. And so I try to give some background into behavior, and I think this helps them to understand a little bit more and to us to have some different strategies and supports based on this. And the first thing I always like to remind, and this is always something even reminding myself, is that behavior is just a form of communication. It's the student trying to tell us something. And so I think that's where us looking at, okay, what are they doing? What are they trying to tell us? So it may not just be, you know, oftentimes it's not just, oh, I just, you know, I want to do this to make your life hard, but it's, Maybe it's too hard for them. Maybe it's the time of day. Maybe it's, you know, that they need to stand up and do the work. I mean, maybe it's that something, you know, they're at school and, um, you know, something terrible just happened that morning at their home. So there's usually a reason behind it. So I think that's a good reminder for 
all of us to understand, okay, let's kind of get to the root of it before just feeling like, stop it. Um, even though that feels very tempting sometimes. <laughs> um, and I think also too, is just reminding, you know, parents and paraprofessionals is that behind most behaviors, there is a skill deficit. So it could be that there's a language or social deficit that's coming out as a behavior. Um, an academic, again, you know, if something is too hard, if we're, if we're seeing that every time we ask them to do an activity where they have to sit down and do vocabulary words and we immediately see a certain behavior and they get up and run around and don't want to participate, okay, maybe that's too hard and we need to change what we're doing on our end. Or it could just be an attention and executive functioning, which is so, I, I feel like getting a lot more much needed attention now. So really just drilling down, okay, there are, they're trying to communicate something and then oftentimes there is a skill deficit. And I think that helps us to all look at it differently as far as, okay, what do we need to change on our end to help with that behavior versus fine, you're not going to get your reward or there's going to be an instant consequence. And I think too, with that comes also reminding our students or, or the kids, you know, if they're, you're seeing them at home, even if they're young, what are the expectations and regularly talking about them? And um, I even, if with my older kids, we even, I will have them work with me to create, what are our rules of the road? Like, what are some things that seem fair that we are going to need in order to really make these these effective? Um, what is kind of, you know, what are non-negotiable? What's negotiable? Um, and, and helping them to have some accountability and a part in that. And then I find that there's more buy-in and it helps with that. And then also just to really encourage, expect, and that reinforce age-appropriate behavior. So I think that's key. We have to remember, you know, I've done some teletherapy with kids that are really little, like three and four-year-olds. They can't sit for 45 minutes straight and do an activity, just as they wouldn't, even if I was on site, you know, you have to change things up. You have to offer movement breaks. Um, and I can talk about some activities as well that encourage a lot of that movement. So, but just remembering, you know, what, how, what is their, you know, age appropriate and whether, again, maybe they are a certain age, but due to what's going on with them or a specific diagnosis, we can't look at them as that age. So what are they capable of? Uh, capable of, um, And then how can we really set them up for success for better behavior? Right. That I like the, all those tips. So I think some of the things you said was that, you know, looking at the session to see like, okay, what was their attention span? Um, is there a possible skill deficit? Was the material too hard? Uh, you know, are they having some sensory needs? Or if there are some behavior issues, really figuring out like little tweaks, like standing up, you know, providing them a way to say, I want to be done with this activity. Um, a lot of these things we have to like, we have to plan a little bit. And we definitely like, I like that idea of the initial meeting, really knowing their behavior, um, their behavior background, what they're motivated by. But then a lot of times we just have to go into the session and just see where it goes um, sometimes. And that is a little scary because we have things we got to get done, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and so, sometimes our agenda doesn't match theirs. 
So Right. And it's hard to accept, I think, as a clinician, because we're going, no, I don't want to play another, you know, video for you. We got to get this done because we want, you know, that kind of thing. So I found throughout the year when I was doing teletherapy that I had to pivot a lot and be open to it. And it was a lot harder because it was virtual where I felt like I'd gotten enough practice in person where I could do it easier. Like I was easier on me. So teletherapy was definitely harder, but I did find some successes with green screens for the little ones. Um, you know, those really, so yeah. So finding what they're interested in definitely still works virtually. And <laughs> once you find that thing, Virtually or in person, it, it seemed like it really helped. Yeah, so. I think a lot of it is just, you know, looking and saying, okay, if you're doing something, and again, this is just for whether on-site or virtually, but again, is if you're moving to virtual, it's hard. It's it's another way of doing therapy, whereas you may have been a clinician for 20 years and think, oh, how hard could it be? But it really is just another setting almost. You know, if you say, okay, I've worked in this setting, this setting, it's another setting. So you have to learn all the the nuances that come with that setting. So I think the first thing is just looking at it and saying, okay, if something's not working, what do I need to do differently? Because you can't necessarily expect the student to change. We almost have to change something about how we're operating to see that change. And, and I also, with that, another piece that I found that helps a lot. And again, you can break this down based on age, but giving them an agenda in the beginning, we're going to do this, then we're going to do this and we're going to do this. I feel like if people have a schedule or know what's coming next, they're more likely to just like even as me as an adult, if I go into a meeting and I know, okay, we're going to do this, 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 then I'm more settled and I know what to expect and I'm more prepared and our students are no different. Totally. And then if they, if even if the speaker or person running the meeting says, Hey, if you need to go to the bathroom, just get up and go. And so knowing that expectation, it helps me know like, okay, I can, I can survive another meeting. So I think, yeah, I loved all those points. And, um, I was going to say something else and I can't remember, but it's, it's called mom brain at the moment. Um, but just, yeah, I loved all those strategies for behavior and, just before we wrap things up, it would be wonderful if you shared some ideas for activities on how you incorporate the support person, just to give SLPs a picture of how that support person could even be an active participate participant in the therapy session too. Yeah. So I think sometimes we get really caught up and everything has to be virtual on the screen if we're doing teletherapy and absolutely not. In fact, you don't even have to do things on the screen or you could do a portion of the activities on the screen. So some of the things that I really love to do, and again, this is where you'll want to talk beforehand and say, this is what I'm thinking. Um, but some of the things that have been really popular are um, I like to do rock, paper, scissors, and then the winner, and you can do this with a small group or one-on-one. -on -one. It's really fun in a small group as well. Um, and the winner gets to ask the person a question. So whoever wins, and again, it's fun as well because you have to learn how to play. There's sequencing, there's rules. There's a lot of good language that comes with that game. And then the winner, you can ask anyone in the group a question. So like, what's your favorite ice cream? And so what I do is send the paraprofessional a list of questions or even the parent ahead of time that they can help the child choose if they're having a hard time thinking of a question 
But again, with this, you're doing something movement, you're doing a game, you can address language, you can do WH questions. And it's kind of fun because you get to learn. It's also a social activity because you get to learn things about each other. And then you can comment about what's your favorite ice cream? Oh, I love that. My favorite is blank. So that's a fun one. Um, another one I like to do is like a show and tell. And again, I always give the parent or the para a heads up about this. So what I'll do is set a timer and they get a minute to grab an item. And I do this a couple of different ways. So one is they can grab the item and they can not show me what it is and they have to explain it to me and I have to guess what it is. So I'm, you know, they can explain characteristics of it and I have to guess what it is. Or I've done it where I say, whatever you find, uh, you have to pretend you're trying to sell this item to me and tell me all the great features about it. And now I have to decide at the end if I would buy it or not. And so I've done that a couple of different ways and that's usually fun. But again, you'll want to have some heads up so that there's some things that are in the room that they can actually grab. Um, that's a great one because yeah. you can totally keep it in structured with the session every time and then just yes. switch out the idea. Yeah. Like maybe find a green thing yeah, or find something that you eat, but then you can also switch up the game. That's like the key to success doing the same activity, but making it feel yes. a little bit novel. Yes. Um, and so I love your twist on like they not showing and then you have to guess. Yeah. And that's always fun because who doesn't love a guessing game? And then you can, yeah. it's yeah. So I've, there's a lot of ways, exactly what you just said. You can take one, my favorite activities are activities. I can take the activity, but I can get 20 uses out of it. And so these, this is exactly what you can do with that. Or if, again, if you're working on Arctic, you can say, find something that starts with an S and they have to find something in the room that starts with an S. Um, another one I like to do, and again, this is a good, and again, you know your students, so if they cannot be trusted to do some of these things, then you know, but uh, you like to do this as an activity, as a movement activity. So this is a game, a jumping game. So I'll say, and this is also a fun group one, if you have a pet, jump up and down two times. If you don't like broccoli, jump up and down one time. And again, this is an activity where you can do, you could do jumping, you could do push-ups, you could do all sorts of different movement activities, but they have to move to give you the answer to a question. So a lot of, a lot of legs from that one. And you could even change it up like movement of the week. Yep. You're creating the structure yeah. and then I love it. That's a good one. Another any one more? Have, do you have any? I have a couple more. So okay. Uh, okay. For, for older students, what I like to have them do is this is where you can utilize having the computer at your fingertips, where if for middle school and high school, especially for high school, if I say, well, what, what kind of business would you want to own? What would be something you'd want to do uh, that they have to, we're going to look it up, we're going to research it. And even having them, or for example, if you wanted to know how late this business was open. We're going to actually practice together making that phone call and doing kind of some of those practical life skills, but actually researching and looking into something that's of interest to them and then incorporating life skills into it. Or if we, you're going to call this restaurant and ask if they, do they take reservations? Or if I have four people, what time am I, you know, or would be the best time for me to come in? So something like that, where it just is 
real life skills that are practical. And then the last one is that I like to play uh, this game. And again, talking to the pair beforehand, truth, lie, and wish. So I like them to take turns writing something down that's true, something that's not true, and something that they wish. So if I I'll always give them an example, my favorite color is black, I have a cat, and I found $10 yesterday. So which of those is the true, which true one, which one is the not true, and which one's something I wish? And you can have them write it down on a piece of paper and they have to show you, or you can verbally talk it out, but that's another activity where you can easily do it and you don't need that screen, but you're just having the interaction. Right. And then you could even have the support person writing the answers for the child to keep them from not you know, because writing sometimes can even be a behavior meltdown because it's hard with spelling. So, I, yeah, I love all those ideas. I think these are super practical. And hopefully, if you're listening to this, you're going to do some of those tomorrow or next week in your sessions because they sound very engaging. Yeah. So just think yeah. inside the box or think outside of the screen is what we'll say. You don't, have to, <laughs> you don't have to just do things on the screen if you're doing virtual work. You just have to think about it differently. And then, yeah. And think about how could I incorporate or tell the parent not to do certain things too. Right. Is that, I'm sure that comes up sometimes where yes. you're wanting like here for this one, I just want you to let them do it by themselves. Um, and we'll see what, ha- like, see how the interaction goes or you know. Absolutely. And those are the things that, again, when you are doing that meeting beforehand, you will, talking about those in advance are so helpful for them. I'm going to ask him to do this, this, this. I want you to not say anything so we can really see if they know it. But if they really start to get frustrated, absolutely step in and we'll, but those are those planning ahead of time conversations. Cool. Well, thank you, Jennifer, so much. This was super helpful. I think SLPs are going to feel a lot more confident with helping the support person participate and be involved in the teletherapy sessions. So if SLPs wanted to get in contact with you to get more tips about teletherapy, where might they find you? Yeah. So my email is just jennifer.martin, M-A-R-T-I-N, at a mnhealthcare.com. And I'm happy to help anybody. I love talking through these things. So absolutely. Yeah. And you can also follow her podcast, SLP Full Disclosure, where you can get uh, practical tips and tricks for a lot of different um, topics and treatment areas. So again, thanks, Jennifer, for that. Again, let me say that again. Again, thanks, Jennifer, for coming on the Real Talk SLP podcast. And as always, SLPs, be the SLP that every kid wants to see and stay inspired. We'll see you next week, or you'll hear from me next week, I should say. (laughs) All right. Take care.